We are learning Daf Samach Vav. We're starting from the bottom, right by the two Daf Samach Hei Amibes Tani Tana Kamei So our Mishnah said that when a, when a woman finds something in the street, Mitzia Isha, she finds a lost item, so it goes to her husband. That's the din of the Mishnah. Mishnah also spoke about how the Maisiyadim, the earnings, the work that a woman does, what she produces, also goes to her husband. So the Tana person who used to teach prices in front of Rava, he said the following statement in front of Rava, this halacha that a woman's things that she finds belong to her. So according, it seems like we're presenting a Tana who disagrees, that actually what a woman finds goes to herself, and it's only Rabbi Akiva who says that they go to the husband. This is what the Bryce introduces. I mean, the Mishnah didn't make a machlokas out of it. The Mishnah we just had, that what she has goes to her husband. Here we see a dispute in the Bryce. So Rava said to him, how could that be? Imagine the earnings which are extra. Remember the basic earnings, the five slum of wool, right, we went through. So anything that she makes in extra that, let's say she just, it's very easy for her, she's extremely skilled, and uh, she just happens to make a lot more. So when it comes to the extra earnings, what's the halacha? Those are earnings. What does Rabbi Akiva say? We're going to prove that Rabbi Akiva holds that even which are extra, the surplus, the extra of earnings go to her. And all the more so, something that she finds should go to her. In other words, we could say, just as the basic earnings go to her, the extra earnings go to him, so too the extra earnings go to him. Rabbi Akiva does not say that. Rabbi Akiva says only the basic earnings go to, go to him, but the extra earnings are kept by her. So certainly Rabbi Akiva should allow her to keep her or something that she finds. That's like its own category altogether. Where do we see that Rabbi Akiva holds that her extra maiseyadayim are kept by her as opposed to going to her husband? So we looked at this mission a little bit ago, and now we look at it again. It's mission of Adarb, a woman who says to her husband, whatever I make for you should be konim to your mouth, meaning she's asering as a neder. She's trying to say whatever she does, whatever she works, should become asar on her husband. And the question is, does the husband have any need to annul such a vow? Anyways, his wife's work is obligated to him, so she doesn't really have a right to asar it on him. So the Tanakhama says, in his heart law, there's no need for him to annul the vow to be, to be made for her neder because there's, no, there's nothing binding about it anyway. Rabbi Akiva Omer Yafer. Rabbi Akiva says, no, the husband should be made for Why? Because yes, the basic earnings go to him. But what about the extra earnings? Maybe she'll do some work and it will be extra and there will be extra stuff around. And that would legally uh, go to her. And if she answered her Maisei Diamond, her husband, then that extra stuff will be answered on him. So therefore, if he's smart, Rabbi Akiva is saying he would be made for the nether. So what's the point? This Mishnah here, according to Rabbi Akiva, shows that the extra Maisei Diamond do uh, remain with the woman. Rabbi Akiva Shita is that even though the Maisei go to the husband, but the extra Maisei the extra beyond the, the requisite five slum amount, the extra that goes to the, that goes to the husband. So what are we saying? I'm sorry, that stays by the, by, stays by the woman. So now, if I want to know the parallel by, by Metziah Saisha, by something that the woman finds, certainly Rabbi Akiva should say that it, that it remains by the woman. If even the er, extra earnings, where the basic earnings go to the husband, but the extra earnings stay by the wife, that's Rabbi Akiva's position. So it's all the more so, something that's a different category altogether, the Metziah Saisha, something that she finds, certainly should be kept by the woman. So therefore, there seems there's something off and the b'risa that Rava, that was brought in front of Rava. So Rava therefore switched the b'risa. Ela epoch, you flip the b'risa. It goes like this. Metziah Seisha Labayla. The Tanakhama held the Metziah Seisha go to her husband. Rabbi Akiva Omer Laatzma stays by her. So now it actually makes sense. Rabbi Akiva says two things stay by the woman that the other Chachamim don't agree to. The Metziah Seisha stay by the woman according to Rabbi Akiva and the extra surplus earnings. So both of those things are things that according to Rabbi Akiva stay by the wife and according to the Chachamim would go to the husband.
Says the Gemara, you think everything is good? came to He said over the name of This is about the extra earnings. Do they go to the husband and stay by the wife? If it's if the woman's not working any harder, meaning she just is more skilled, she's like so good with the thread or whatever, making the wool that, that she's not that she's exerting extra effort. It's just that she's so skilled that it's easy for her to do it, and she's able to produce more in the same time or something like that. So if it's like that, everybody agrees that the extra goes to the husband. There's no dispute about that. Keep Lee, where is there a dispute about It's only when it's brought about if she works more, meaning she does something which is beyond what most women do. Let's say she works into the night. Working into the night is not expected. That's, 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 that's unusual. There, she worked extra hours. That's where Rabbi Akiva says that it makes sense that she could keep what she earns from those extra hours. Even there, goes to the husband. In that case, since she worked the extra hours, it stays by her. So now, what's the point that the Gemara is making? So now I see that the Machlo, once we revisit this with this analysis, the whole dispute about the extra earnings is only extra earnings that she makes um, after her hours, that she makes by doing extra exertion. So now, what, and there Rabbi Akiva says that the wife keeps it. So now, what should we think about her, about her findings? When someone finds something on the street, did they work hard to find that or did they not work hard to find that? Presumably, the Gemara thinks now they did not. They just chanced upon it. So therefore, it doesn't make sense that Rabbi Akiva should say it should be kept by the wife because the whole svara that he said the extra earnings are kept by the wife are only extra earnings that she did extra hours for. Extra earnings that came easily do go to the husband, according to Rabbi Akiva. So Frank, the Gemara, so what's with the lost items being any different? What? So interesting. How would we look at a raise? It's actually a great child. The Gemara is saying that for working the extra hours, it goes to her according to Rikiva. If she gets more in the regular hours, let's say she's just not very good, it goes to her husband. What about a bonus? How would we look at a raise? I would say Pasha that she go to the husband, but I'm not sure. In other words, it's not trak. The trak means she did something unusual. In other words, she, 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 it's hers. She owns it because she exerted that extra effort. But if a person is just doing the regular job and then the bonus comes, I would think it would go to the husband, but I don't know. Anyways, so the Gemara explains that when someone finds something, Amar Papa also when finding things, it's like earnings that come with extra exertion, which is very interesting. Why is that? Because usually requires a very deliberate search. How often is it? Most earnings, even though there could be an earning where you walk down the street and you find a hundred dollar bill, it could happen. But most earnings are not like that. Most of the time, you, you have to deliberately seek something out and search for, for valuables at the sea or something like that. And that's the cases that happen more often. And that's why it's like idea Tchak, it comes with effort. And that's why Rabbi Akiva is saying the same svar, that it's kept by the woman. So, Nachtin of There are two machleks between the Rabbanon and Rabbi Akiva. Hadafa idea Tchak, the extra exertions that make earnings. There Rabbi Akiva says it stays by the woman and the Rabbanon say... It goes to the husband still. And the findings, which are also presumably coming at day at Chak, Rabbi Akiva is going to say it's, it's, it's kept by the woman, and the Rabbana are going to say that it goes to the husband. A woman can multitask much better than a, than a man. So let's say she did two tasks at the same time. Mahu, what is the halacha? Is that considered extra exertion? Or not, extra hours staying later in the office, that's extra exertion. That's where Rikiva says it's kept by her. What about if she did more activity in the same time, she did simultaneously, by Ravina, what if she's doing three or four different things at the same time? So maybe that's for sure considered extra exertion. We don't know. In other words, maybe extra exertion only means extra time. That point goes unresolved. All right, and now we go back to the Machlekes that we learned in the mission yesterday. If a woman, a married woman, has been injured by somebody else, so she's owed damages and humiliation. 
So the Tanakama says, all of it goes to her. Rabbi Yudhman says, no, it depends. There are different proportions, but some of it go to the husband. So the Gemara does not understand how this is true. The idea is that the woman was shamed, the woman was humiliated, and the husband is getting payment according to Rabbi Yudhman Somebody humiliates his friend's horse. What do you have to pay the owner of the horse, Boshes? Meaning the Gemara is saying, the Maisa, the husband wasn't embarrassed. Right? The, husband, the husband wasn't embarrassed. It was his wife that was embarrassed. Why is he taking the payment for humiliation? That's the question. Why is that different than me embarrassing your property? So the Gemara says back because so is Barbosius. There's no humiliation to the, to, at all. In other words, there, there, there is no such thing. Let's say I strike your horse. You don't, you don't get to suffer any humiliation. There, there's no humiliation. But uh, by the husband, he is humiliated when his wife is attacked. Very simple point. Says the Gemara, Allah, okay, you're right, we accept what was said, but we ask a different type of question. Let's say Ruvain spits on Shimon's garment. He didn't spit on his, on his skin, it didn't land on his body. It, the spit landed on the garment. Maybe you should have to pay Boshes. Why? Because the Gemara assumes that there is humiliation to the person when someone spits on your garment. So, Pastros, according to what we're saying now, you should pay Boshes to the person who, who is wearing the garment. But it says in the Mishnah, someone spits at somebody else. If the spit reached him, or somebody uncovered a woman's head in the street, or he took away his garment from him, he's chayv to pay him 400 zuz, because that's humiliation. This is only true if the spit reached the person themselves. That's what the language of the Mishnah suggests. If I spit and it hits somebody's garment, potter, there's no liability. So what do I see? I see that it's only when it's an assault to somebody's actual body that there's a payment of humiliation. But if it's not on the body itself, if it just lands on the garment, that there's no payment of humiliation. So the Gemara's question comes back. I see unless you actually are doing it in a personal way where it's to the body, there's no humiliation. So even if the husband is embarrassed, even if it's true that the reality is he's embarrassed when his wife is injured, but if it wasn't to him personally, then there shouldn't be a payment. So the Gemara says, no, it's not true. Your assumption is that you're embarrassed and you're still not paying. The answer is there, but less Lisa. If someone spits on your garment, you don't have such a disgrace. But if somebody's wife is injured, then uh, there is a lot of disgrace. So bottom line is, spitting in a garment is exempt from payment, not because it's only when it's on a personal assault on the body, but rather because there is no humiliation in that case. The humiliation is only um, when it's directly to a person. Whereas in the case of the wife, where there certainly is humiliation to the husband when the wife is bad, when, the, when someone hurts the wife, so then he is paid. Says the Gemara, according to what you're saying, let's say somebody humiliates, um, let's say someone humiliates an a, a, a Ani, but he comes from a wealthy family here. He comes from, a, you know, sometimes a wealthy family can have that one poor relative. And they look at that relative as like their responsibility. That's, that's the case here. So you have a nice prominent family, somebody who embarrasses them, that's a big deal, right? And, and specifically, it's their one poor relative that they feel the responsibility to. If you injure that one poor relative, you are disgracing the whole rich family. You have to pay out the whole family. In other words, the Gemara is saying, ultimately, there certainly are going to be cases that are comparable to the husband and the wife. Just as when the wife is injured, the husband is humiliated. So if there's a responsibility of the, you know, the one cousin orphan that they're taking care of, so that should be an embarrassment to the whole family. So don't they have, why don't you pay boshes there? So finally, the Gemara says a very sharp point. The Gemara makes a whole point that it's not just that the husband is related to his wife. A husband and wife are considered one body. So since we come out that really humiliation is only when it's a personal assault. It's not just about if there is some element of humiliation indirectly. It's the personal assault. But a wife, 
considered as if the husband himself was directly assaulted. Really interesting ideas. So we'll come back again. Remember, this is all analyzing the opinion of Rabbi Ben-Maseira. We were just trying to understand if Rabbi Ben-Maseira says that you pay, that you pay the husband uh, when the wife was injured, how come you don't do it in this scenario, in that scenario, and so on and so forth. But the Rabbanon say, even in the case where the wife was assaulted, the husband is not owed humiliation. So it ends up being machlokas atanam, but at least we can understand. Yudhim Ben-Maseira is coming off of the principle, ishto kegufo dummy, is as if the husband was personally assaulted. Okay, now we're going to move on to discuss the dowry. So, before we even start, it's important. You know, the father's throwing in money, the husband's accepting money. This is all beyond what's required of the parties. What's required of a husband is to commit himself to pay the ksuba. You know, all supplementary amounts and all dowry amounts. They're not essential, but there's standards. And that's what we're going to be learning about. What are the standards for the father giving the ksuba? And what happens is that when the father gives a dowry, it compels the son-in-law a groom to give as well. And that's what we're going to be learning. So the Mishnah says, If somebody's pledging a certain amount of money as the, to the dowry, uh, and then suddenly the son-in-law died. So what happens? What happens is, is that now she was already in Arusa, we're talking about. She was already married, just they were, you know, they hadn't done the chuppah yet. So she falls to Yibam now. That's what happens. When an Arusa dies, a lot of times that it's going to, she's going to fall to Yibam if her husband didn't, when had been married yet, she doesn't have children, so she'll fall to Yibam to her brother-in-law. So now the question is, does the father have to pay the dowry to his new son-in-law that happened by force, right? His, his desired son-in-law just died. Now his wife is getting a new, a new husband, the Yavam. So the question is, does the Yavam get the dowry or not? So Amr Chaham said, Yachol Shem, the father-in-law can say to the, to the Yavam, No, I only pledge it because I wanted that son-in-law. To you, I don't want to give it. Meaning he doesn't have to pay the amount that he pledged. Because the only pleasure towards that son, even though now the Torah says there's Yibam and the brother is taking over, but the Maestro, the father hadn't promised it to that brother, so therefore he doesn't have to, uh, he doesn't have to give it to the other. All right, it says in Mishnah, Paschal Akhon, so Elif Dinner, if the, the, literally the bride pledged it, but it means the father pledged for the dowry a thousand dinners. Now, a thousand dinners is cash, it's currency. So she's bringing in liquid. Who He writes in contract that he's going to pay 1,500 dinner against them, meaning he has to pay that if, they, he would be, if he would die or if he divorces her, he's going to pay back the amount that he receives plus a half. And that's the idea. You're, when you bring in something to the ksuba, you're, in other words, the concept is in the dowry. I'm bringing this in. You're going to use it. You're going to have all access to it. You can use it for your investments. You can do whatever you'd like. Stocks, it's up to you. Do whatever deals you could. But if the marriage is terminated, pay it back. So what does it mean to pay back is a very interesting thing. What does it mean to pay back if someone gave you a thousand, a thousand dinner? It means you pay back 1500 Why? Why is that? So the answer is, it's because he has the right to invest. If somebody gives you that, that principle and you can do whatever you want with it, its value is like that. So the Shaila is, why isn't that a classic is a ribis? Right? Isn't that ribis? It's Mamash ribis, right? She's bringing, she's bringing a thousand and he's saying back, like, oh, I'll give you 1500 at the end. That's Mamash ribis. Isn't that the point? If I leave you the cash, now you have the right to do whatever you want with it. You pay me more for those rights, right? That's why the world runs on interest, which is also by the Torah. But the Territz is, is that it's not really like that. It's not really like a loan and then paying back, you know, uh, for an extended period of time. It, it's not like that. It's owed at that time of the divorce, regardless of how long he was married to her. It's a different way it's constructed. It's constructed through marriage. It's not constructed through loan and payments back. And therefore, it doesn't violate interest. So it's a real loophole here in the law. The husband is basically getting this awesome loan, pretty much, that he can do whatever he wants from the father-in-law. And oh, when, uh, 
uh, only only on the possibility that the divorce or uh, or death occurs. So it's uh, Mar, the, the mission is saying is an increase of half. So if he came in a thousand, then he's going to owe fifteen hundred dinners in cash at the end. That's all for the. Uh, that's all for cash. But if it's shum, so shum is like entities that are going to be used. Now, just very important. There's two types of entities that you use. Let's say you could have a couch. A couch, you buy for $1,000. You use it for a little bit. And clearly what happens? It depreciates in value. Why? Wear and tear. So there, then you contract in the contract to pay a fifth less than what they were appraised for. So meaning at the wedding, at the scene, they're saying, oh, and the couch is coming in and it's worth a thousand bucks. So the chassim doesn't accept that he has a liability to pay back a thousand for it because it's going to depreciate by the way he uses it. So it's, a thousand, so it's a fifth less on what they were, the value that was said to be at the wedding. That's for something like a couch. But the Mepharshim explained that there's also something where it's like, um, just like a clee that doesn't necessarily go down, but it's like a clee. It's like a clee. It's not something that has wear and tear. And there, the reason you, won't, you, you only accept to pay a fifth less is because you're not sure if it was really accurate. You know, they said at the wedding it was worth that amount. You know, I'll give you an example. They give him, she gave him a pair of cufflinks, right? How much is car, a watch, right? How much is the face, not the, the band that has wear and tear. How much is the face of the watch worth? It doesn't depreciate, it doesn't depreciate at all, right? So there, it's just like they said the watch was worth 10 grand. Really, it's worth only eight grand. That's the point. They over-exaggerate. The appraiser at the wedding was trying to say that the, the father was a little bit more generous than he was. So that's the idea why, why it might be a fifth less. So that's very important. There's two types of shum here. There's things that have wear and tear where the appraisal doesn't equal the amount that the chassan pays back because of the wear and tear. And then there's types of things that might be over-exaggerated in their value where, where he also, again, only accepts four-fifths of the amount. However, let's say it was something that's a real clee and there was a real legit appraisal that took place. It was, mom, it was said it was worth the money. It actually was worth the money. No money. Then he has to accept the money. So if it's something like they actually had a watch guy at the wedding. So it's not a thing of wear and tear. And it's clearly accurate. So then you accept whatever the value of the thing that was given. All right. Continues here the Mishnah. Now we get examples of this. Shumbamana. This is, you know, this is where it's like... Uh, from the Hassan side. He accepted goods of a mana. If that's what it means, then he knows that means that she's giving him goods that are worth 31 cell and a dinner, which is one and a quarter mana. And the point is, if he wrote, he's saying, I accept to pay back a mana, that means she has to have the extra fifth here. What is the extra fifth? So it's 31 cells and a dinner, which would end up being the one and a quarter mana. Or just another thing, if he accepted the goods for 400 dinner, he knows that means that she's supposed to be giving him goods worth 500 dinner. These are just math, where it's going the other way, where Again, because it's decrease of a fifth. When we say fifth, it's, it's fifth of the total amount, fourth of the amount that was there, right? So 400 dinner, she's giving him 500 dinner. That's the concept. So, it's, so, so she's adding the extra 100. Whenever the groom is making contract, it's a fifth less than the appraised value. That's always the idea. So it says the Gemara, we spoke about what the father-in-law pledged to give to the Chassan, and then the Hassan died, so we say that he doesn't have to give to the Avam. So the Gemara says it goes without saying you don't have to give to the Avam. If let's say the, the Hassan was a Torah scholar and the Avam is an ignorant person, so then clearly the, the father in law can say, I didn't have this guy in mind, I don't have to pay him. Even if it's the opposite, the first guy was ignorant and the Yavam is the Beit HaMachacham. So the father in law seemingly got an upgrade in his son in law. You could still say, No, it's a personal thing. What you want is your son in law. You can't, no one can say, Oh, you got a better guy, a worse guy. It's not like that. Says the Gemara, Bosco Lachna, so Elif dinner. So the Mar says, Like, 
What, what, what's this whole point? It's the same thing as the ratio. We just went through some more numbers. First, we spoke about a large appraisal and a small appraisal because you want to understand that, right? We spoke about mana, which is relatively small. And the point why you want to speak about different numbers is because the question is sometimes the, 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 the appraisal that's taking place might be exaggerated more or less, depending on what it is. Sometimes if you know, the father only gave a little bit, then the appraisal might be exaggerated so that people make him look better. Or the opposite. If he gave such a crazy amount of things, then people will say, oh yeah, for sure it was exaggerated, but smaller amounts, maybe not. So you want to go through big and small uh, numbers. He wanted to do it. It was a case from his appraisal and her appraisal, just from their both perspectives. That's why the mission gave so many examples. All right, here we go. Paschal Achaz Loksafim says the Mishnah. Here, the Kala is pledging to bring him money. So, Salah Nasa Shisha Dinner, her Sela is, 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 it becomes six dinners. So, this is again just another illustration. She's bringing in four dinners. That's cash. He has to accept how much, what do we say? An increase of a half. So, four becomes six, right? That's an increase of a half. Four plus the two, the half. So, he, 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 he becomes six dinners. Now we learn a new thing that the chazan accepts that he's going to pay ten dinars for her ba- up for a basket. For every mana that he brings, for every mana, for every one hundred dinner that she brings in the dowry, he is going to supply her with ten dinner of her basket. What's a basket? Cosmetics. Very interesting. Why is that? The rabbanon just assessed that when a woman brings in a dowry of hundred mana, she deserves ten dinners of, of cosmetics. Interesting law. For every hundred, he should give back ten worth of cosmetics. So one tenth. It just says a very important thing. Every single thing that we learned here is all the Medina. In other words, there's no absolute, these are not how Lachal Moshe Messina is all this we learned. I mean, the whole din of writing the dowry is encouraged. We can't even necessarily force, and certainly not the amount. So therefore, all this follows the local minute. But that's the point. The point is, there are certain standards, there are certain expectations, so follow them. Now the Gemara says, the first thing that we said was just one more example, that if the cash was four, that was brought in, so then the chassan pays back six. So the Gemara says, I know, what was the, the last mission's example where he brought in, where she brought in a uh, thousand dinner and he pays her back with 1,500, with, with 1,500 dinner. So that's that example. Now we have four dinner to six. I mean, it's the same math, right? So the Gemara says, the idea that you add a half was said for it's a large amount of principal, and for a small capital. Why are they both chiddish? It's If you only told me that you have to add a fifth when it's a large capital, a thousand dinner, I would say, there the profit is large. You give me a thousand dinner, I could buy a lot of shares, right? So the money that I'll make could be a lot more. But if it's a small amount of capital where the potential to gain is less, all you gave me was four dinner. So even if I have the brightest stock idea, but if all I have is four dinner to, to invest, I'm not going to make that much money. So maybe then I don't have to pay you back with an increase of half. It's a big chiddish that the proportion stays the same. I don't know how the way it works today. Right? If I borrow, uh, is our interest rate the same? It's, does it, depending on how much it is here in this thing, no? It's always the same? Okay. Not always the same, right? It doesn't make sense. If I'm borrowing a thousand, I'm borrowing four, two dollars. They say the interest. Yeah, exactly. So you understand very well what the halfamina of the Gemara is that the proportion should change. But the Gemara is saying that's what the chiddush of the Mishnah. No, it's a uniform amount. How much you have to increase that you increase by half, and it actually does not matter. If you only told me it's a half by a small capital, I would say by by a big capital is even more than a half. So therefore, tricha again, the point is it's the same increase of half regardless of the size of the capital. Eventually, wouldn't it defeat the purpose of like if the son-in-law is going to have to pay back all this mm-hmm. amounts between the purpose of giving the dowry in the first place? Yes. 
it gives him access to it now, but he has a lot. <laughs> we hope he makes money with it because he'll be he owes a lot at the end. Yeah, if the if the marriage is terminated. No, he's not giving cash now. Let me just cl- clarify. Yeah, the, the, the husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The father-in-law is the. The father-in-law is giving cash, a lot of cash, and connected whatever the father-in-law is giving, the son-in-law is accepting that if the marriage is terminated, he's going to pay back the cash plus the half. So we said for the cosmetics for every for every hundred hundred dinner that come in, the chasam accepts to pay ten dinner of cosmetics. my what is a bathroom? Fragrances, perfumes, cosmetics, whatever that is. Amar Bashi, the Nemesis Ramalad Yushalayim. All this is only in Yushalayim. Very interesting. In other words, the women used to wear so much cosmetics there, but other places it's not necessarily, they're not so into it. Says the Gemara, Bari Rashi, Mana Nishim, Mana Mesgabo. Does it mean the praise Mana or the actual, or, or the contracted Mana? What do we mean to say? We said it's a tenth of the dowry. So does that mean what they said the dowry was worth? Or what the Chassan wrote in the Ksuba? Remember, the Chassan always writes that it's a fifth less, right? As we learned, right? He appraises it a fifth less. So when we say it's, it's, it's a tenth of the dowry, a tenth of what they said it was worth or what the chutzim contracted to pay back, which is a fifth last. It's only the contracted mana. Does he pay her only on the first day or every day? So what does that mean? So Pasha the Gabar means is that certainly he's paying a tenth of the dowry, but how is it distributed? Is it just like on day one, now he gives this huge box of cosmetics, right? A tenth of the value of the dowry. Or is it... Is it something that is every day? He gives her a little bit of it. In terms of he gives it every day. Shabbos is that only the whole first week? The whole first week of Shabbos is giving her the basket, or is it, um, or is it actually every week? He gives her a little bit. In terms of Shabbos, every week, maybe it's only the first month, or does it continue? In terms of every month, Shabbos is only in the first year. Every year, take So basically, we're not understanding the way that he should give out the cosmetics. We know the cosmetics is a value of the tenth of the dowry, but how do I split that up and how do I actually give it out? Those are the sfekos here in the Gemara. So the Gemara vaiter Amar Rav Nisa. What's happened? This is a story. Bevito Nedshanadimon Ben Gorion with the daughter of Nakdimon Ben Gorion. Nakdimon Ben Gorion was a very rich person who lived at the end of the second base of Mikdash. So what happened? Shapazlo Chamim Arba Meis Uvim Kubushab Sam Lebavayom. They awarded her four hundred gold dinners for a basket for that day. Meaning unbelievable. Her husband died. She comes to the court and she's trying to figure out how much am I entitled to from the estate. So the Chachamim said that just for her cosmetics, she gets 400 dinner for that day. Now, let's just think about this for a second. That means how much was the dowry, right? Because the 10th of the dowry is on the cosmetics. So, wow. And that basically is showing that her father had written her a crazy, crazy dowry. She said to them, So you should give to your daughters. So it seemingly is good. In other words, you would seem to be like she's saying, oh, I hope you get that amount for your daughters as well. But again, it's actually the opposite. We had this yesterday. She actually was thinking this is not enough. And she's cursed. She's saying, your daughters should also get less than, uh, less than they want. That's the Pashup Shad here. But they answered, Amen, because to them, Alavai, right? Alavai, it should be that much. Ah, very famous Gemara over here. It's a story that Rabbi Yechon lifted the Chorban. He saw the Kali saw at their best, and then he saw them at their worst. He saw the whole Roman um, the showdown and how it impacted Kali saw the base of Yerushalayim. He was once riding a donkey, he's leaving Yerushalayim. To meet the Malkin Achor, the students are walking behind him. He saw a girl. She's trying to collect the little kernels of barley. From the excrement and the animals that belong to the Arabs. So this girl was so poor, she's looking for anything she can get. So she sees him, he stops from Sarva on the front of she covers herself with her hair. In other words, she, she gets a little bit more modest, she covers her face, and she stands in front of him. So Amr she says, Rabbi Pranasini, please give me food. 
Amalai says, they're beating me at. Who, who are you? Amalai, she says, Bas, Nakima Ben Gorion. I'm the daughter of Nakima Ben Gorion. Amalai says, they're beating I don't understand. Where'd your father's money go? Amalai, she said, Rabbi Lo, Kedain, Maslin, Masa, Birushalayim. Isn't there a very famous statement that they say over in Yushalayim? Melach, Mamon, Chaser. Salt of money is missing. What does that mean to say? Usually salt, you need salt to keep it like a preservative, keep something in there. So the idea is, is that if you really want salt to your money, if you want your money to stick around, chaser, you have to give up a little bit. What does that mean? You better do tzedakah. If you give tzedakah, that's the salt, your money will stick around. You don't give tzedakah, your money will be lost. So she's saying that Timon didn't give enough tzedakah. So if he didn't give enough tzedakah, that's why all the money's gone. So Amilad, other people say, chaser, kindness. Okay, obviously, very, very similar idea if you kindness to other people. Says the Marv where when your father-in-law's money. So Amrullah, she said, this came, this side came and it wiped it all out. Meaning it was all mixed up. They had some deals together. And when my father's money was lost, my father-in-law's money was lost as well. So Amrullah, she said, Rebbe Zakhar, Azak Shalzak, I don't understand. Don't you remember? You were at the wedding, right? You signed on the Ksuba. Amrullah told me said the student Zakhar, I remember I signed on the Ksuba. El of Alpham didn't raise all of it said there was like a million dinars of gold coming from her father's house, close to Michelle Chavia, besides for what was for her father-in-law had promised her. Bochah, Rabbi Yochanan, Zakai, and he said his fathers. Asherechem Yisrael. Klal Yisrael is very fortunate. Bismach Shalai Yisrael is Malcolm and Klal Yisrael is doing the right thing. In Kulum of Allah, Shalai Yisrael No one can get them. Bismach Shalai Yisrael is not doing what Hashem wants. They are delivered into the most lowly nation. Right? No one, look at the, look at, they can live in there, the Bedouins and Arabs and whoever is living there. They can be the most lowly people. Klai Yisrael will fall to them. If they're not doing the Rasul Hashem, they can fall to anybody. Not the lowly nation itself, even to the animals of such a lowly nation. Meaning, here she was, she was dependent on the excrement of the animal, of the animal of the Arab. So look at what Klai's could happen to Klai's girl. So here's the famous Kasha from the Marsha. How do we learn Pshat? Milcham and Zaka is crying. Obviously this is tragic to see this story. But look at what he says. He says, Ashrechem Yisrael. When you do good, Hashem loves you. When you do bad, like, you know, you could fall to anybody. Why is that Ashrechem Yisrael? You wouldn't you want to have otherwise? So Marsha explains that the Yisrael is, we are compared to the sand and to the stars. The Nakuda is, why, why do we want that? The Jewish people can fall to the lowest lows and go to the highest highs. This is Mamish, what Haman's wife told him. What did she say to him? That Klal Yisrael, the Gemara elaborates, Klal Yisrael has highs and they have lows. The point of it is, is that we are so connected to the Rebbe Shalom. Most of it, the guy, the way the world, the world runs naturally, there are not crazy highs and lows. Life is life. Teva rules. Klal Yisrael, Teva doesn't rule. It's the way we're connected. We're so connected that we are so in sync with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we are rewarded, when things go well, we're at the highest of the high. When we fall, we have to fall very low. But that's Guva Ashrechem Yisrael. That's how fortunate we are. And that's what he saw in the bracha of what he witnessed and experienced here with the daughter of Nagimah Ben-Gorin.